Welcome everybody to a very special episode of the Francis Farmer Show. Maybe the most special episode of the Francis Farmer Show. Every episode is special. No, but this one, that, let, me, let me tell you what's going on the day of recording. The president is here. Yeah. In town. Not on the show. Not on the show. Well, anything can happen. You never know. Not anything can happen. <laughs> Some things can't happen. Well, the president was, uh, was next door, literally like across the street from uh, where we saw Johnny Toe's latest film, Three, uh, The Pacific Place. Um, and Sean, you had a hell of a journey getting to the, th the movie theater. Yeah. It, it took me three hours to yeah. get there. Motorcades blocked off the freeway exits in downtown Seattle, um, and so we didn't know if we would get to the movie uh, in time, but we did. You made it with, I don't know, 10 minutes to spare. Yep, so. I got there at 6 o'clock. Yeah, for the 610 show. Mm -hmm. um, so, we, so that's exciting. President is here. It's also annoying. President is here. Mm -hmm. uh, and... You you'd be you're probably wondering why why aren't we hearing the ambient sounds of you know popcorn popping and ices being iced and this is supposed to be our our third annual live from the Pacific Place Johnny Toe premiere night episode yes and <laughs> we ran into complications with that as well uh, there wasn't a place to sit uh, in a quiet location there or a relatively quiet location. So we came back to my house, which is a first for the show. It's not a first. We recorded here before? We recorded the Two Lolas episode here. Wow. Yeah. See, it's been so long. Well, it's the first time we've recorded upstairs. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Lindy's downstairs after her long day of work watching Trainwreck uh, with the dog. And so we're holed up in her office, um, which is the previous Johnny Toe movie we talked about on the show. So, so it all ties together. Uh, anyway, so, so three is out. We're going to talk about it. Uh, and we're going to tie it in with uh, Samuel Fuller's Shock Corridor um, because they're both set in hospitals. Right? Yeah. All right. And have to do with the brain. Yes, that's right. The brain, the fragile brain that we all possess, some of us possess. Um, anything else happening on this show? Uh, no. <laughs> Okay, well... That's it. We'll talk about some other stuff in the middle of the episode. Yeah, there but, you go. Uh, but first... Stay tuned. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, the new Johnny Toe movie for the fourth time. Right. Fourth time, we're talking about a film called Three, The Two of Us, In One, in one Room. Very first episode of the George Sanders Show, which was 
I think almost exactly three years ago. Yeah, it's pretty close. Uh, we talked about Drug War, uh, Johnny Toe's movie from 2012, although we talked about it in 2013 because that's when it came out here. Uh, in 2014, yeah, uh, we went to the Pacific Place. We talked about Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2, which... Uh, which you broke the news that it was actually playing in the U.S. Because uh, as far as I know, nobody knew about it until you told me. Right. Uh, and then in 2015, we saw Office, also at the Pacific Place. We also talked about it on the show. And now here we are in 2016. We're talking about three. Yep. Uh, this is the third time in the last week that I've seen the movie three. <laughs> Uh, I already wrote about it, which is not something that uh, we would usually do for the show, but we wanted to talk about the movie because we always talk about the Johnny Toe movies, but I also uh, was assigned the task of writing it to have it out by opening day, so it was unavoidable. Uh, well, it was avoidable, but I didn't want to avoid it. Anyway, uh, three is uh, it's set in a hospital in a neurosurgery ward, uh, and there, uh, there are three main characters, uh, a doctor played by Zhao Wei, who is a brain surgeon and she's very driven and she does not believe in luck. Uh, she meets a, uh, patient who is a criminal brought in by Louis Ku, uh, who was a cop who is not afraid to break the law to enforce the law. Uh, the crook has a bullet in his head, uh, Ku wants, uh, him to give up the uh, location of his accomplices, they are armed bank robbers, or alternately he wants him to die because of the fact that he, the reason he has a bullet in his head is because one of Ku's men uh, illegally shot him while interrogating him. Uh, the crook, uh, played by Wallace Chung, uh, is waiting for his compatriots to come and rescue him, and he does not want to have surgery because if he has surgery, he's pretty sure he's going to die, and he just wants to be rescued and to fuck with the doctor and the cop because he is anti-authority. Uh, so the movie plays out as a kind of psychological thriller struggle between these three uh, powerful, persuasive figures, and then it all ends, as it must, in a slow-motion shootout. Yeah, uh, it, it, that yes, <laughs> it must it it you know Chekhov's gun right? Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, Your normal Johnny Toe touches are there. Lam Suet is there. Lo Hoi Pang with a knife in his ass. <laughs> Lo Hoi Pang plays a, a a kind of mentally unstable patient in the bed next to Wallace Chung, who, uh, if you read what I wrote about it, is uh, I think is kind of the key to the whole film. Uh, the movie takes its title from a, uh, a line from Confucius, which is, uh, I don't have the exact quote because I didn't turn on the Wi-Fi here, but uh, it says that uh, if there are three people walking, then one of them can be my teacher. Uh, I will take the good things from the good people and learn those and uh, not do the bad things that they do. So the idea is that these three characters, uh, one of them is possibly a teacher of some type. It's my theory that the actual teacher is uh, Lo Ho Pang, the mm -hmm. crazy guy, because he's the only one in the whole film that's happy. Yeah, he's the, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know how spoilery we want to get in the podcast. I think, well, we just said it ends in a giant shootout, and I think, yeah. you know, I, I th I'm fine with spoiling it. Yeah. 
the hell? Damn the torpedoes, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Go my, down in flames. My review spoiled it, and I'm like tweeting out, like, I have this review coming out. Don't read it if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, real, real good job promoting yourself, Sean. Yeah, I know. It's, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that the movie is very happy with me. I'm like, I wrote this thing for them, but don't click on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I am curious what you thought, because uh, for me, the, the ending of this movie is is kind of happy. Like, I, I, I feel like, like two of the main characters have found a kind of peace and a, like a greater understanding of the world and their role in it. Whereas most of the other reviews of the film that I've seen uh, see it as kind of a, a cynical, uh, very dark ending where uh, all of these people who think they have control of their actions ultimately turn out to be futile. Uh, I don't know that those are necessarily mutually exclusive readings. Mm -hmm. But to me, the futility of it is a happy thing. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, that's a good question. I, I definitely, uh, I don't know. I didn't walk out of it uh, on cloud nine, you know, uh, happy as a clam. I know what you're saying, and I know what you're referring to specifically at the end there. That that gives it that kind of. If you want to take it as uplift, that's possible. I do think, and I thought to myself in the middle of the movie. God damn, this thing is bleak. <laughs> I mean, it is it is some dark stuff going on in this movie, um, which I'm a sadist or something because you know that usually makes me really happy. So I like that kind of stuff, um, and I really I really enjoyed this movie. I actually avoided. Uh, I mean, I always avoid reading your work because I can't stand it. But I avoided reading I anything about this. You know, I, I didn't even know it was set in the hospital until you told me it was, you know. Um, uh, so I went into this as, about as cold as I possibly could, and I didn't know what it was purporting to be at the beginning. It's, you know, you kind of got to find your, your bearings uh, in the beginning of the film. But uh, I got on its wavelength, and I feel like, um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here that Toe's <laughs> working out. Um, and I also think... The funny thing about it is this movie, the movie of his this reminded me most of was his most recent film was Office. It's very, um, it's on a, you know, it's on a set. The whole thing is, you know, very kind of artificial looking. There's a lot of vibrant colors going on. Um, a lot of, you know, really interesting use of the camera within that kind of space and stuff. So on a technical level, um, I think this is a very, very impressive film, um, and one that I want to see again um, to kind of enjoy those those things. Um, but then, yeah, then there's all this thematic stuff that's going on, and and you know, you've you've got a a, a cop who, like you said, has these uh, you know devil may care attitude towards you know he's he's going to enforce the law whatever way he he needs to 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 get the job done. And then there's obviously the doctor who has a more altruistic you know I need to save everybody regardless of who that body is uh, kind of thing. And there's this yeah there's a whole thing about professionalism going on in this movie um, that was kind of intriguing. Um, and I, I I don't know but I think it's pretty darn bleak. Um, and I mean, I, I see what you're saying, and I'd like to see it again to maybe see to to read more into that character, the the kind of uh, fool character that he plays, um, to see if there's more to it than that. But uh, 
I mean, I literally, we, I, it's been less than an hour since I watched that movie. So this is usually what happens on the Johnny Toe episode is I kind of just ramble. Um, but I think it's a very strong movie. And I, I actually, uh, on first viewing, because I actually I saw Office once too, but um, I responded to this a lot more than I did to Office. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's definitely just a stronger, like, more cohesive movie than Office. I don't think it's as great as, like, Drug War or or Don't Go Breaking My Heart Two, to right. to just compare it to to the ones we've talked about. The ones we've talked about on the show. Um, it's. I'm going to go on record and say that Don't Go Breaking My Heart Two is the best of the four that we've. Done yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I still can agree with that. <laughs> uh, it it feels like a very minor film because because it has so few characters and it's it's set in the one location mm-hmm. with just like the simple premise and it's a very constrained period of time it takes place over only six hours um so it, it gives all of those indications of just being like like something he just tossed off like a a, a minor film right. not, not one of his like you know one of the achievements that he's like been working on for years or right. something uh, whereas drug war is like big and epic and expansive, and right. really, it, it too takes place over you know a limited number of days, but it takes place all over China. And it has right. this like huge cast and these giant Multiple plot lines. And, and, yeah, all of these plot lines converging onto right. one single point. Whereas this just has the one through line with like the occasional side characters kind of commenting on and interacting with the main actors. Right. But really, it's just the one story. But I I don't know. I don't know. For me, like. Uh, smallness of a work doesn't mean it's a minor work. Well, this really feels to me like the kind of work, and I don't want to say this, I don't want to call this late period Johnny Toe, but this is this is kind of that thread that people go off on with auteur theory stuff where where it's it's the movies like this, you know, like late period Howard Hawks or something where, where something it like feels that. a cast off, but there's so much there's 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 such a personal investment it seems like to me in terms of this story uh the the virtuosity with which he films it seems so easy right. and so simple that some like something like Donovan's Reef or Hatari or or right. seven seven women seem like very easy movies to make uh but they're not it's just that they're so good at this point right <laughs> right like they're not they're not straining to convince you of their greatness. Right. They're just content to just be great. But the but the flip side of that is also in this I feel like those those constraints he's put on himself are intentionally there because he's so like because it, so much of the the craft stuff does seem to be effortless for him uh like he he's just absorbed so much and he's so efficient. I mean, he puts out a movie or two a year. Um, that I feel like part of what intrigued him about this was the fixed location and how do I work within that space and how do I do all of these things and stuff. Um, I feel like, I think he's, like I was trying to say earlier, I feel like he's invested in both the material, like I think that he does the kind of uh, through line in the narrative that's going on here, I think he's invested in that, but I think he's also invested in the challenge like, Hitchcock was with like lifeboat or you know rope or something of trying to to um, you know work within a, a box you know work inside these parameters which then you know um, he has to he has to solve how to do that and I right. think that's intellectually yeah. stimulating for him and I yeah and uh, I think that has a lot in common with Office I, I agree right. this is a, a very similar film 
just kind of visually and, and in its theatricality. Uh, Office was was also kind of the same thing, like how do you adapt a play uh, to a film using the Milky Way image style? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you do it with these, like, amazing sets that, that they decided to, to build? Uh, it's kind of taking lessons from that and then applying it to a more conventional genre-type mm-hmm. story. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much interest Johnny Toe has in like the stories of his movies, especially something like this. Uh, he has screenplay credits through mm-hmm. his career. Uh, and obviously I think he, he's very involved in all of the, the stories right. of the movies that he writes, but this to me doesn't feel like as personal a work as, uh, some of his like earlier stuff like Throwdown or, or even, uh, uh, romancing in uh, thin PT, air. PTU, mm-hmm. or even even romancing in thin air. Uh, the the main uh, the co-producer and the main writer on this is is Yao Yao Nai Hoi, who's been uh, at Milky Way since the beginning and has written a lot of uh, of their films. And it feels like like the script for this, the idea of the scenario, is like a Yao Nai Hoi mm-hmm. idea. Just the way the intricacy with which the screenplay is constructed. And there's a lot of like little jokes that I don't think, I don't know that you really pick up on the first time, but the second time I watched it, I started writing down like how many times the number three or a variation Mm. of the number three is used in the film. And there is a massive amount Mm. of threes. Like I I have a whole like long list. I actually had to cut it down in, uh, in my review where I just catalog all of these times that they're using three, like the phone number. I was going to say the phone number feels, it's it's just, uh, they're all, uh, uh, factors of three. Right. Uh, and the numbers add up, you add up the digits, they add up to 37, Mm. which is three and seven, which are, you know, lucky prime numbers. Uh, and then, uh, the bed that he's in is four. The difference between three and seven is four. It's yeah. Uh-oh. Numerology on the yeah Francis Farmer show. And then there's the three <laughs> characters, but the fourth one is actually right. the teacher. So my my theory is that the three the three men walking are the doctor, the cop, and uh, the crazy guy, and it's the criminal who's the fourth one out because the criminal is the one who does not learn anything. Right. Uh, anyway, all of that feels like like yeah. I feel like the. Uh, the the visual construction of it is what interests Johnny Toe. The well, that shootout for, for yeah. one is just. I mean, that's him getting his rocks off, so to speak, in a in a really great way. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's a very uh, monumental moment in the movie, and 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 the movie prior to that, while it's flashy and stuff like that, you you kind of feel him like intentionally. Um, holding back so that when he gets to that moment, he's like, all right, I'm going to do slow motion. I'm going to do bullet time. I'm going to do. <laughs> There's uh there, there are so many great kind of like suspense shots of like the cops standing around is like, they're, they're anticipating something is going to happen and they're standing up against the wall and they're arranged so perfectly within the frame kind of behind a column or, or mm-hmm. outside of a door. Uh, it's the kind of thing that Johnny Toe has been doing since, uh, since the mission in 1999. Right. Um, and they're they're amazing, and they're just perfectly composed cinemascope images of of suspense and tension and waiting. Uh, but he's never done anything like this shootout before, <laughs> where not only not only is it in slow motion, he had the actors rehearse for months to perform 
in slow motion. Right. So they're faking slow motion, and right. then the camera is speeding up and slowing down right. with like digital uh, bullet time effects. Right. So it's the everything about it feels unnatural. Right. And just looks bizarre. Yeah. Like like there's a shot. And there's there's people moving, and one guy is just floating in the air. Yeah. With like, like a stack of papers around <laughs> right. him. Endlessly, um, like he never actually hits the ground. Yeah, and some of it yeah. is CGI, and yeah. and some of it is is a slow motion effect, and some of it is actors actually just performing at different speeds. Right, and it it just looks so cool. It does. It does. <laughs> it, does. Uh, it is really a, a a great achievement. Yeah, it's like it's it's an effect that nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, yeah, and it's like like. Like you said, it's not something like the the look of this looks nothing like drug war, and drug war would never drug war would never have a, you know drug war ends in a giant shootout, mm-hmm. but that is you know it's less like, it's, stylized, it's, it's naturalistic. It's, yeah, it's naturalistic. It's uh, it's brutal. It's you know um, it's in your face, and this is more of just a um, sit back and watch the bo- you know the bodies. It's like this is more balletic than it is. Uh, you know that kind of visceral thing you get in something like drug war, but yeah, but it, and, and but that's not to say that it's not like emotional. Oh no, involving because you you keep getting looks of like the 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 extras' faces or the nurses or, or Jawe's face when when she turns around and like the three gunmen start firing right. around her and like the her whole ward has just descended into chaos largely through. Her own action. Her own she brought it upon herself. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of the horror there. She she gives such a good performance. Like I, she does. Uh, m- most people here probably know her. I think she played the girlfriend in Shaolin Soccer. Oh, all right, yeah. But uh, she's also in in John Woo's Red Cliff. She plays uh, Chang Chen's sister. Uh, she's uh, she's also a director. She's she's really terrific. She's in Peter Chan's Dearest a couple of years ago. She gave a really great performance in that as a woman who had their, their child kidnapped or had adopted a kidnapped child and then had that child taken away from her. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. She does a lot. She's really good. She does a lot uh, of heavy lifting because she has to, you know, she has to convince us that she's, you know, a capable professional who is then under a lot of stress and strain and is maybe not making the most, uh, you know, sound judgments at this point in time. And you're never you're never quite sure what exactly is motivating her. Like, is right. it is it her pride or right. is it a sincere desire to help her patient? Right. And sometimes it's more one than the other. It's 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 not entirely clear. And when she goes back and forth on like, you know, she assists the cops for a minute, but then you know realizes that was a mistake, and then you know she yeah goes back and forth with that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, going back to the the shootout, it's also you know. It's a bit of a hard thing to watch, um, just b- based on timing with what's been going on in the news and stuff. Um, you know, it's a very you know there are bombs that are going off within this building, um, and you know it's a it's a it's it's an act of terrorism that's happening on uh, at this hospital, this seemingly you know place where people get well or whatever. So it, it like you said, it does work on an, an emotional level too. It's not just like a, a you know, macho flurry of bullets kind of thing. Like it, it, yeah. it has uh, some some, you know, real power to it. Yeah. 
And then Lamsui gets a knife in his butt and he runs around with it for. <laughs> yeah, but he, but even he like in the shootout gets like a he like uh, he shoots the guy who stabbed him. Yeah. In in the butt, and <laughs> he gets like he even he like the bumbling cop that he is, and he's bumbling throughout he's so the good. entire film. He's so good. <laughs> uh, even he like gets to shoot the bad guy. I mean the. Lamson, the the first scene of him is he can't find the keys to the handcuffs, and he's just like, <laughs> he's just in the background of the frame, like searching his jacket for like a good like minute and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just glorious. And then he goes off on this tangential search for the accomplice, uh, and he he's a buffoon. The whole, I mean, it's just great. He's good. But he's so he gets so he gets so excited like he he's he he's remembered he's like oh, yeah. found the the guy who 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 whistles uh, Mozart so he's gonna track him down but then he gets distracted because he sees his key right. but then somebody <laughs> kicks the key and he's like looking around for it and then he sees the other guy and is like oh the other guy and right he forgets about the key again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great yeah. Um, yeah the one thing that wasn't great did you hear that guy next to us. No, uh, I must have blocked the sound. The the other white guy. The, the, the one theater. white guy in the in the room. There were there were there were three white people in the theater. There were three and three. <laughs> there was this older. He's in his sixties or whatever. But he, I think he was eating popcorn or whatever, which is fine. Whatever you're in a movie theater. But then, for the rest of the movie, every like five minutes or so, he would like lick his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? So I watched the movie with like my pinky in my ear. I mean, it was just disgusting Thanks. I just couldn't I, I couldn't understand it but anyway um, so yeah it's really good I want to see it again I, you know it's kind of that feeling I had I mean I'm not bowled over like I was after I saw Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2 or anything like that where I was like I need to rewatch this right away but this is one I actually I, I do feel like um, will kind of grow in esteem um, you know once the dust is settled I don't know I, I, I think this is a I don't know if I want to say like you said. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to say it's like major Johnny Toe here, people. But it's a really fascinating work. Yeah, uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. You gonna say you want to turn around and play that piano? <laughs> oh, uh, I was really glad to get to see it in the theater. Like even even though I saw it, I watched it twice on a screener before I had to write about it. But uh, it. I mean, it, obviously, it goes without saying it looks better in the theater than it does on the screener, but uh, this is especially the case for this one, and not because the screener is, like, of poor quality, but just seeing it on a, a small screen uh, in, the, in, like, the video compression, you don't get a, a feeling for just kind of the texture mm-hmm. of the movie, and it's, it is a lot more textured than it looks like on a screener. Like on, on screener, it looks very plastic. It looks mm-hmm. it looks very smooth Flat. and 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 digital. Right. Uh, in the theater, it yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like film, and the CG does not ever look realistic. Nope. That is not no. Nope. That is not a standard by which one should judge. Although Hong we, Kong CGI. <laughs> although the CGI in this is uh, light years better than anything in the trailers that we saw before the film. They, they showed what maybe four. For other films um, that were chock full of really, you know, goofy. I mean, not, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, yeah. Toe integrates, like you said, with the shootout. He integrates the 
all of these effects together to make it a, a, a really nice... Um, yeah, the, the effects in the shootout are well done. In the, the aftermath of the shootout, right. uh, the, the CGI there is like a blatantly artificial. Right. And, I mean, you could call that bad CGI. I, I think it's intentional. Right. Uh, but I also think that uh, verisimilitude is not something that Hong Kong directors and, and Chinese directors uh, prioritize in their digital effects. I think they're, they're much more willing to, to engage in the cartoonish mixing with reality than Hollywood directors are. Right. Well, and once again, this movie is not at any point straining to be realistic. Whether, yeah. you know, I mean, it, the whole thing is artificial. And yeah, there's and nothing wrong with Especially that. by that ending, there are like literal deus ex machinas going on. There's right. like the hand of, of luck and fate is, is what is taking hold of the narrative. Right. And of, you know, I don't see any reason why that cannot be expressed in a fantastical looking image. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that's Johnny Toes 3. Yeah, it's good. Go see it if you hear this and it's still playing. Um, I, you know, I was, I was pleased. Um, well, I guess this happened at office too, but it was nice to go to the theater and see, you know, before you even walk into the the uh, theater itself, you know, where at, at the box office, you know, they had like four posters for things that they're showing, you know, uh, now you see me two and Independence Day or whatever. But they had a poster for three right smack dab in the middle, and I was like, this is this is a great step up from Some, two or three years ago. Somebody at the Pacific Place is a Johnny Toe fan because like when they first like learned that they were getting office they put the office poster like right at the front of the ticket stand where you walk into the <laughs> right. theater uh so there there's somebody there who knows what they're getting and uh, is excited about yeah. it so so that's cool it's great and i like this annual tradition of going to see the new johnny toe on opening night you know I, I, um it's a good feeling and uh, yeah it's like clock like you said it's like clockwork yeah, it's actually, it's only been two and a half years since uh, the last one, so it's less than than the third annual. Right, that's true. That's true. But he's got, uh, he's got another one coming out. He's, uh, he's working on Election 3. I think he hasn't actually started shooting that yet. Uh, I think his next project is uh, an omnibus film called Eight and a Half. Right. With, like, every great Hong Kong director from the 80s uh, right. contributing a 10-minute short about the city. Yeah, so, you're gonna uh, blow your mind. Yeah, that should be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that should be pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, so we're gonna take a quick break, um, and then, of course, we'll be back. <laughs> That's what we do. Of course we will. Of course we will. the show uh we're gonna forego the usual uh i don't even know what we do with the usual anymore rigmarole rigmarole the essential stuff um uh, we're throwing it all out the window uh for a very special announcement uh this is gonna be the last show 
Uh, I've been saying that for years, but it's true this time. Uh, I'm stepping down from the Francis Farmer, George Sanders uh, conglomerate that we're doing here. Uh, you know, it's... Eh, I don't know. I think it's an okay thing, right? We don't need to be sad about it. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. No one cares, right? Uh, no, it's been... You know, this has been a blast. I really... Uh, the show has, has actually been a real uh, big part of my life uh, and, a, and a really positive part of my life for the last three years. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot. I've, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have seeked out. Um, you know, I, I was given an outlet to kind of be a jackass. Uh, you don't need an outlet for that. <laughs> well, my girlfriend <laughs> would say that I do. Uh, but uh, no, it's been really good, um, and you know, I, I I have no animosity towards the enterprise, but uh, I'm just tired. <laughs> uh, you know, life got in the way as it tends to do, and uh, I, I wanted to stop doing this before it stopped being fun, because uh, that's you know what that that's the worst thing is when your hobbies or your you know the things that you um, you 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 find solace in or things that you know um, I don't know give you a reason <laughs> to keep going uh, when those things become a chore or um, you're just you, you know your heart's not in it then then that's not uh, that's not good at all so I I really wanted to avoid getting to that point um, and so you know I I look forward to you know continuing to see the Johnny Toe movie every year and. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll still write for Screen Scene from time to time, and uh, I'm, I might talk to you, Sean, on occasion. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. That's the, that's the one that's up in the air. That's the ball that's still waiting to come down. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I want to thank everybody uh, for the support over the years. I, I um, you know, pe people know me. I'm a weirdo. I don't get out on the Internet much or whatever, but... Uh, you know, the, 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 the nice things that I've seen about the show and the stuff that Sean and I do, um, it's really gratifying. And, um, you know, Sean will still be around. You can't escape that guy. So, um, you know. And Sean is really, I mean, let's all face it. Sean is really the brains of the operation here. And I think most people are tuning in. Uh, I, I think if people tune in for me, they're tuning in for the circus sideshow that, that they get. And Sean, you actually have you know intelligent things to say, um, and you'll continue to say them uh, either on the Twitter or the uh, the screen scene or whatever. You but I don't know. My Twitter, huh? You haven't read my Twitter. I don't have never read your Twitter. That's true. That's true. I I don't know what the hell goes on over there. They might be full of Donald Trump uh, retweets or something like that. But no, I I I I actually disagree with that. I think that if if people actually listen to the show and god knows not many did but <laughs> the ones who did are of the highest quality uh that's right it's for it's for like the combination of the two of us it's the fact that well like I said, <laughs> that we have you know, that, that we are different in the way that we approach films uh even though we end up agreeing like 90 percent of the time we really do we really do. Which is probably why we didn't uh, ever develop a much wider audience. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I can probably think of the the, the disagreements, uh, you know, it's like Ride Lonesome and, 
I don't well, know. I think, that would be <laughs> I think there were like one or two times where you liked a movie and I did not. Right. That was that was the true rarity. Yeah. Yeah. I was more of a, a stick in the mud about certain things, but yeah. But I mean, the, the, I don't. I don't think anyone is like tuning in to listen to to what I have to say about the movie. They're listening to to hear us talk about the movies and the kind of the show for me is kind of unimaginable without the two of us. So I, I don't think I'd, I would want to kind of continue it with anyone else. Right. Well, you know, to my credit, uh, <laughs> I'm the, I'm one of the few people that can coax you into a conversation. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's the other thing is you're the talkative one right as as has been uh you know if i if i remember correctly this show was your idea <laughs> yeah i don't i think it was in the air you know um but yeah it's been really great and i really you know it's like you know i've i've played music and bands have broken up and stuff and um you know but i always look back on those things and i'm proud of what i've achieved and i really and i think that this show has done uh, what it set out to do. Like, I think it expanded my horizons on a personal level in terms of uh, cinema. And I mean, God, you know, Three Crowns of the Sailor. And there's so many different films. Uh, Ingeborg Holm, all these movies that I were not even on my radar. Prospero's books, stuff like that, that I would not have gotten to because of this show. But then also we were, we've been afforded so many great opportunities because of this show. Um... And we're just two jackasses that, you know, used to work in a movie theater together. We we have no real credentials, but with the help of this show and with people listening to it, we were able to parlay that into, you know, festival coverage. Um, getting those press passes and stuff was really cool, and we got to interview some cool people, and um, it's it's been, a, you know, it's been, a, it's been a wild ride, and it's been fun. I mean, it really has. So, uh, you know, uh, thanks for listening, and... Uh, you know, there there will be more of Sean and me in the future somehow. I'm I'm still waiting to you know win the lottery or whatever I need to do and then open up my own movie theater um, because I got really good ideas. Met Metrograph <laughs> Seattle. Metrograph Seattle. <laughs> I was talking to Kate from Scarecrow recently, and she and I were kind of lamenting you know the, the fact that we have great ideas but we don't have the money to execute them. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's, that's all right. You know, if only, if only there were people in Seattle with money, you know, I know, uh, <laughs> or at least people in Seattle with money willing to, uh, you know, listen, listen to, to a couple of movie podcasts, right. You know, <laughs> benefactors, we need sugar daddies, but, um, but anyway, that's, that's my piece. And, uh, you know, it, it's great. It's, it's been fun. And, and, you know, we've got the memories of what, 90 something, yeah, almost, almost 100. So, yeah. and I think, and you know, my I brother, think we did, I think we did 80 George Sanders and 10 Francis Farmers. My, my brother, Christopher, who actually just got married this week. Congratulations to him. He hasn't listened to this show, I think since the Wally episode, but, um, smart man. he's a smart, you know, he, he said to me, uh, he, he really enjoyed the show. He listened to the first, you know, dozen or so. Uh, I mean, maybe he still listens. I don't think so, but. Uh, we kind of went off the deep end and started talking, you know, talking about things that nobody, you know, watches, you know. After, after you know, doing Point Break, 
per his request. I think that's when it ended. But he said to me back then, he said, I really enjoy the show. It's, it's fun to hear you guys talk and, and all those things, but the shows are too damn long. And, uh, and I think he's right. Um, and so I think we've got, it's easily more than 90 hours. This is like oh, yeah. 150 the, hours. The, the, show, the show's average about 90 minutes long. Some of them, a couple of them I think are over two hours. Yeah, that's unconscionable. Yeah. But uh, nothing beats the they shot pictures on Miyazaki. Though. That was uh, that was a long one. That was a brutal one. We, we've had some long they shot pictures though. Yeah. Well, that's because people fall asleep in the middle of recording. Them, uh, so. <laughs> only one person falls asleep. Well, so, I actually, no, that's not true. Both John and Sam have fallen asleep during there you the pictures episodes. Yeah. Not to mention <laughs> the audience. So. You know, it is what it is. But uh, but anyway, I don't want to you know drag this out uh, too much. But I you know, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for listening and uh, thanks for the support and uh, you know, uh, don't vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> and that's that. I think that's that's all I need to say. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with with Shot Corridor and we will flood the set. That's right. <laughs> the motion picture screen opens the door to sights you've never seen before. Shock Corridor. The medical jungle doctors don't talk about. A labyrinth of twisted detours that both sexes stumble along. Case history number one. Johnny B. Brilliant newspaper reporter. Suffering from hallucinations that his sweetheart is his sister. Don't ever do that! Don't you ever kiss me like that again! What's the matter? What is it, Johnny? Stop me! You're exciting the other person by shouting! Johnny! Stop her! What do you mean, stop her? Diagnosis, erotic dementia. Forgive me for saying it, Miss Barrett, but there's something very strange about this case. Case history number two, Kathy B. Stripteaser, young, intelligent, beautiful. You think I like singing in that sewer with a hot light on my navel? I'm doing it because it pays more than shorthand or clerking or typing. I know that. Kathy's torrid performances, however, reveal her avid reaction to the excitement of male audiences. Diagnosis, manic sensualism. Case history number three, Robert T. A lone Negro student who stepped out of a white university into a straitjacket. Run, Swift! Run! Run, run, run! Diagnosis, acute schizophrenia. Don't you dare strike me. I'm pregnant. Shock Corridor, the incredibly realistic story that reveals the strange intrigues, the criminal impulses, the obsessions that explode into violence. Because I want her and nobody's going to keep us apart. I want her. Then there was a day Johnny was trapped in the ward of love-maddened women.
Alright, that's a clip from Shock Corridor, Samuel Fuller's 1963 film. Uh, this, the plot of it is, uh, you know, it's a very pulpy conceit. Uh, there's a, a journalist, played by Peter Breck, who uh, wants to win a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, just like us on this show. That's all he's concerned about, is the, the, the power and the glory that would be bestowed upon him if he, if he won the uh, prize. And so... His, his great plan for, for achieving this is um, to solve a murder that occurred at a uh, mental hospital. Um, and the only way for him to do that is to convince them that he himself is insane. Uh, so he concocts with his stripper girlfriend, played by Constance Towers. Um, well, she's against it, but she, she plays along to get him in there. But they, they create this incestual rela relationship. Incestuous. Incestual? That's not a word. Incestuous. I think they're both acceptable. Are they both acceptable? I mean, they're both unacceptable because it's <laughs> but Right. Kind of like this show, but... Grammatically speaking. All right. Yeah, that works. Uh, this is why I can't do this anymore. Yep. So, anyway, he, he gets committed to this mental institution, um, and she's concerned for his safety because she's like, he, you know, she thinks he's going to get infected or he's going to somehow go insane himself, which ultimately is what happens. Um, but while he's in there, he... Um, he tries to get to three of the patients who witnessed this murder um, and, and try and weave his way through their, you know, ramblings um, and incoherent kind of shouting to get to um, the pieces of the puzzle he needs to solve this murder. Uh, and this is Samuel Fuller in the 60s um, was doing really interesting stuff. Samuel <laughs> Fuller was always doing interesting. I know he was. I know on both ends of this spectrum. But um, th this film uh, is tied in a lot of, in a lot of ways um, with The Naked Kiss, which also stars Constance Towers, um, and came out around the same time. Uh, they're both black and white. They're both really low budget, um, and I think they were like shot for the same studio under the same contract. Yeah, or something like and that. they're and they're completely uncompromising. Um, this is pure. Samuel Fuller id on display, um, and it's great. <laughs> I'm just gonna come out and say it. Yeah. It's great, and I love Samuel Fuller. I've 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 loved every Samuel Fuller film I've seen, um, and I haven't seen them all. And I, I've got a lot of, uh, particularly his earlier stuff. I I need to really uh, dive into. But uh, Pick Up on South Street is great. Naked Kiss is great. White Dog is is I mean, whew, that's a heavy duty film, but. Uh, I'm gonna go out and say, uh, of the ones I've seen, I think Shot Corridor might be the masterpiece. It's really freaking good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I generally say the Big Red One is my favorite. Yeah, see, I haven't seen the Big Red One. I need to see that. You should see the Big Red One. I know. I've been meaning to for years. Uh, Mark Hamill. Yeah. yeah. Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. We played the Big Red One. I know. I didn't see it. Lame. I know. I know. I saw the Dirty Dozen. The red one's better than the dirty dozen. I don't doubt that, but it's like twelve times better than the dirty dozen. <laughs> it's a baker's dozen. Uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't seen this in like twenty years. It was like one of the first Samuel Fuller's I saw. Before I ever saw a Samuel Fuller movie, I saw a documentary about him, which was like a, a Tim Robbins would like walk through like a park talking to Samuel Fuller, and Samuel Fuller would just talk. Spout. It's called the typewriter, <laughs> the rifle, and the movie camera. And it was it was great. It used to play on IFC all the time in like the mid '90s when, yeah. when they played like movie stuff. Um, 
and just Samuel Fuller, just himself, just hearing him talk is as good as any Samuel Fuller movie. He's right. just that like amazing a character. He's fascinating. He's absolutely fascinating. I read last year, I read Brainquake, which is this novel he wrote in, in the 60s, I think, the same around the same time, this lost novel of his that is also deals with the brain and um, insanity and stuff. And, you know, it's a hoot. I mean, the, yeah. But the, but, the, but the great thing is he marries, Samuel Fuller marries these, uh, these kind of exploitation-type tropes um, to with these really uh, unflinching... Uh, dissections of America, particularly, you know, at that time, there's, you know, this movie deals with race relations, it deals with uh, PTSD, it deals with the the bomb, um, I mean, th there's a lot of stuff. Deals with nymphos. Nymph <laughs> <laughs> I loved your, I, uh, yeah, I loved your review on Letterboxd, for, um, that, that scene is great, and, and that scene, even that, even that scene, um, that calls to mind the, you know, uh, the Odyssey or whatever. He stumbles upon some nymphs who t just add an O and there's the nymphos that, that tackle him. And, it's, it's, it's so over the top as to be satirical, like a, just like this male uh, fear of right. female sexuality of what they're going to do right. to him. It's, it's hilarious. It's great. It's uh, so good. The thing, the thing about Sammy Fuller is, is he's making movies like this and they are you know, of the, like, the B-movie exploitation film look and appearance, uh, but they don't have that politics in the way that, like, some uh, exploitation films are politically progressive, but they're usually hiding it under kind of a camp or satire or something like that. Some of them are not at all. Some of them are like Brian De Palma films, and it's impossible to figure out where he figures where he stands politically. Uh, Samuel Fuller is aggressively progressive mm -hmm. and does not pull any punches in uh, in both his like indictments of American society and also his patriotism. Mm -hmm. And nobody else is like that. I, I cannot think of a single film, film, filmmaker who is so critical of America yet so patriotic at the same time. There, there are two points of view that, that since the 1960s have been like irreconcilable in American consciousness. Yeah, um, and I, I, and the way he does it is is it's it's one of those things. It's just a stroke. There's a stroke of genius to to the way he achieves these things. Um, and in this movie, I was watching it, and and there's a character. One of the 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 witnesses to this murder is a is a black man who thinks that he is the leader of the Ku Klux Klan or the creator of the Ku Klux Klan, um, and goes off spouting. I mean, it's like verbatim racist, you know, rhetoric. And there's no better way of 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 shining a light on the stupidity of something like that than to to have it be a black man saying that stuff and it's so ridiculous and it's so over the top that it it completely just annihilates racism in like that i mean i mean it's amazing and and like the 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 clever thing about it is is he does that it's like this in your face like indictment of racism like you cannot get away there's no escape of 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 that you know, just the visual critique of a black man in a clan, in a clan hood. Right. Which uh, Mr. Show did as a joke and was also really funny. But when you see it in this, it's, it's, it's shocking. Well, the first thing you see is you see him holding a sign 
that you know has the N word <laughs> yeah. very big on it, and you're and and I mean talk about exploitation cinema. That's a, a jolt to the senses to see that um, even 50 years after it was made. But but at the same time, he also uh, the the first character you see in the film is a psychiatrist who is played by right. a Chinese American right. actor who is not. Uh, nope. uh, uh, ethnically distinguished in any way. He's just treated like a, a normal human. Right. And he this, doesn't film have came a... out, this film came out in 1963, which is like the same time as uh, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right. And you would never occur to Samuel Fuller to put a, an ethnic caricature like that in one of his films, but it would occur to him say, hey, I like this actor. Let's have him, right. let's change the psychiatrist's name to Mr. Hong. And he will be the psychiatrist. Right. And he's not going to speak in a, you know... Uh, an accent. <laughs> a, yeah, an accent anything. or anything like that. He's just going to he's gonna just play the character as written. And on the page, it's just a, do, a, a professional uh, doing his job. And that's what it is. And, and that's great. And also, going back to um, the, the patient, um, not only does he, does he give you this um, in-your-face, you know, complete, you know over-the-top thing of, 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 of a black man, you know, um, chasing, uh, chasing down another black man and then trying to, you know, lynch him in, in the halls, the shop. Like, get him before he marries my daughter. Right, get him, like, <laughs> saying those things that are just so ludicrous. But then you also get the underlying um, backstory of how he got there. Like, it's it not Samuel Fuller isn't just going to give you this in-your-face thing, but he's going to say... This guy was driven insane because he was used as a pawn uh, in integrating schools, and it drove him crazy. Yeah. Like that's you know the first thing is like a splash of water on your face, and the second thing is like a punch in the stomach. I mean, right. And the the flip side of that story is that is the first uh, patient that he gets to know, who's uh, who's played by James Best, uh, who was uh, the sheriff in the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> who thinks that he's General Jeb Stewart. Right. Uh, and, uh, when he, when he has his moment of lucidity and you get his backstory of, of how he went crazy, uh, I did not remember this at all from, from when I saw the movie before. Like, I remember the black guy in the clan. I did not remember this, but, but that story is, is so well written yeah. and it's so powerful an indictment of America yeah. and of the South in particular of this. And I mean... Not of the South in particular, of, <laughs> of white America, of the way that like uh, ethnic prejudice is just instilled in generation after generation after generation. And uh, the way he gets out of it is he becomes a communist, brainwashed by the North Koreans, and then uh, he becomes unbrainwashed when he meets a sergeant from the Big Red One. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is basically like the the Lee Marvin character from that movie is a guy is the guy that he meets and he talks to him and the the sergeant uh, shows him a different side of America a more integrationist a more you know open America and that's when he, then goes, he goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also and 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 not only is the writing so um, amazing, but then. He does these these things, uh, these formal things with the movie, where these flashbacks are in color, um, that uh, you know, and the, and there's things that he filmed, you know, 
years earlier, like, you know, traveling to Japan and, um, or shooting on the movie and he just had, you know, this footage with him and it just happened to be in color. But the way that he uses it as these moments of, of, of memory, um, when these guys are lucid and but they're, but they're nightmare moments, right? They're like, horrible. They're, they're nightmares. They're they're nightmares are in color. Right. And they like talk about that. Like the images I see are in color. Like yeah. their actual reality is black and white. white. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's heavy duty. I mean, yeah. and it's such a it's such a great movie, and and then also he plays on. Um, I mean, he touches every aspect uh, that you could possibly imagine. Like there there is sexual politics going on in this movie. His his, his girlfriend Constance Towers is a is a stripper, um, and their relationship even before they pretend to be you know brother and sister um, is really weird, <laughs> to say the least. There's there's she's obviously devoted to him beyond any sort of rational thought and there's no evidence that he really cares. he's kind of using her the whole time um well he he being a an american man has all of these neosexual hang-ups and like patriarchal like intuitions and and paranoias that he's he's suppressed and when he's in the institution they pop out like suddenly he's like obsessed with the fact that his girlfriend is a stripper and right. that is a problem right and and he becomes as jealous and possessive of her as he is actually pretending to be right and it's not just that he's like get infected by insanity he's just being in the institution he's left with his, his own yeah thoughts. with who he is and, and he has exactly. to confront that and what what the american male is is fucking nuts. Yeah. Well, his literally, you know, his literally his first night at the institution, you know, where you'd think he, you know, he would, his descent into madness would be a little more gradual, but the first night he's lying in bed and a vision of her appears on his pillow and taunts him about how she's going to cheat on him and all of these things that drive him, you know, to jealous fits the first freaking night that he's in this mental hospital where he's like, I made it, I'm in, I'm a genius. And then he's fucking crazy. Um, and to, for me, um, it was, it was <laughs> the, the constant Constance Towers has, um, this, who, by the way, um, if you haven't seen the naked kiss, that's a performance right She's there. She's so good in that. Oh my God. She is so good in that. She's uh, less good in this. She's less good in this. She she she's a bit uh, too much at times, and it's it she it's it's a hard role to play. Yeah, it's it's an impossible. Role. Yeah, it's really difficult. But she's, she's the whiny girlfriend. Like, why don't why don't you let him out? Right. Like he's got to get his Pulitzer. He's gonna do it. Well, I love I love uh, his his boss at the newspaper who keeps coming up with these like totally random excuses for why they need to keep him in there. And he's like, no, if we get him out too early, if he doesn't solve the murder, then he's going to go insane. It's like, <laughs> how do you know this? Like, what? You, what? Cause he'll be, he'll keep thinking, what if I had just stayed for another day? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, she has this strip tease at the beginning of the movie, which is fantastic. Uh, it's, 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 it's really eerie because you know, you, it's, she's on stage, she's doing her performance. You don't see the audience at all. Um, and it actually really reminded me of, uh, the lady in the radiators, uh, scenes in Eraserhead where, um, it, it's, it, it is this dreamlike kind of moment. 
which obviously is revisited later as he has these visions of her at night. She's always in her stripper outfit. She's always, you know, um, doing her thing or whatever. But uh, it had this really odd quality to it. It didn't feel exactly like David Lynch, but it was, it, the first thing that came to mind was Lady in the Radiator. And then on top of it, Constance Towers. I didn't realize I've seen her in a, in a couple of things. Um, she looks exactly like my neighbor. <laughs> and so now it's going to be kind of weird meeting her at the mailbox because I'll just have Constance Towers, you know, doing a little shimmy in uh, tassels. But uh, that was kind of an interesting sidebar for me. But anyway. Um, but this movie, the uh, I, I, I love how... Like, it's it goes beyond insane by the end of this thing. And the... And the there, there are like three different endings to this movie, and each one is better than the last. Like, seriously, there's, there's, there's the, the, the moment where he, um, he looks down the corridor, and you know it starts raining, um, and you know he feels this rain. Oh, by the way, Pagliacci, that guy. Yeah. Oh my God. He's the scariest one in the movie. That is such a great performance. Yeah. So good. When he's feeding him gum in bed, he's, oh my God. Because <laughs> when you fall asleep, they can't tell whether you're sane or insane. I mean, that is just so good. He's anyway. pouring the water. Yeah. You, like, wake up in the morning. <laughs> he's just pouring the water and it's falling all over there. Here, have some water. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But anyway, so so it has this this very over-the-top um, ending, which is is... is you know, they flooded the set and um, all, all these things. But then there are kind of two more endings shortly thereafter where you see the after effects of it. Um, and with with the immortal lion, <laughs> Constance Towers is talking to Dr. Barco or whatever his name is. Um, and he says, it's a real shame. Mutant insane and he won the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> I mean, it's just bananas. Um, and I love how much it commits to that, that theory and sees it all the way to its conclusion. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love that he flooded the set and, and the, the story is he didn't want, I mean, the ending is a downer, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't want the, the money men to, to change it, to take it away from him and go back and reshoot it. So that's why he came up with the, the big flood hallucination because he, he destroyed the set. Like, he literally could not do a reshoot because the whole set was, was demolished. Right. <laughs> right. Which is, like, the perfect Samuel Fuller anecdote. Yeah, it really it is really, really wonderful. Um, yeah, so Samuel Fuller, he's, he's the man. Um, oh, 40 Guns, that's another one that's great. Yeah, high Riding Woman with a Whip. Oh, God. I mean, you put Barbara Stanwyck and Samuel Fuller together, and pff, I'm there. I would love to hear their conversations because she was like an such arch, a conservative. conservative. <laughs> I, bet, I bet he hated her. Oh, I'm sure he did. But she's great in that movie. Oh, wow. she's great she's in everything. The, the greatest actress in in history. Yeah, she really is. Yeah. Um, and she in that movie, she's got forty dudes following her everywhere she goes, and it totally makes sense to me. So probably not only in that movie. Nope. <laughs> I, hell, I'd sign up. She was still around. So, yeah, so that's Shot Corridor, uh, a very fitting end, I think, for the uh, George Sanders show. Uh, as, as you are about to become a, a schizophrenic mute. That's right. This, this, <laughs> clearly, this, this hospital bed, if you can see the room we're recording this in, it does look a bit like a mental ward. Yeah, you got to so. get the padding up on the wall. Right. 
So we're gonna take one more quick break, uh, and that'll be that. gonna be it for us um you know this is that time of the show where we pick our rep picks for you know theaters throughout the country and i do have something but i do want to say since this is the last time i'm gonna say it um just go see movies in the theater um when you can uh, yeah. because it's it's really the way to do it you know speaking of samuel fuller i saw uh naked kiss a couple years ago uh on 16 millimeter at the Grand Illusion in Seattle, and uh, that's the way to see it. I mean, with an audience just, you know, riding that same crazy wavelength with you. Um, but yeah, anytime you can, you get the chance to see something in the theater, whether it's a repertory pick or a new movie or whatever, as long as the guy's not like sucking his thumb next to you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's usually the better option. Um, but my pick, my final pick is. Anybody that's listened to this show knows uh, the Melvins are my favorite band. Uh, you know, I, I've been having conflicting feelings about the Melvins uh, in the last couple of weeks, but uh, I will leave those for another day. But I, I, the band is a huge, huge influence on my life in, in so many ways. Um, and their documentary about them, uh, the, the 30 years and counting of the Melvins and their history uh, is coming to Seattle. Um, it's The film's called The Colossus of Destiny. It's playing at the Grand Illusion, um, which is just down the street from where I work, um, and is a really awesome theater. It's coming July 23rd and 24th, um, and, you know, full disclosure, I donated to the Kickstarter. My name will be in the credits. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it better be good, is all I'm saying. Uh, but it's, it, it's going to be great. The band's been around forever. Um, they're, they're a vital piece of music uh, in the Northwest and beyond, and um, there's a lot of really great interviewees lined up for the film, and uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So that's my final pick for our show. What about you, Sean? Well, as you know, uh, my Melvin's is uh, Chinese language cinema. That's true. And uh, currently going on at uh, Aunt MoMA in New York is a retrospective of the work of cinematographer Mark Lee Ping Bing who is most famous for his collaborations with uh, uh, Ho Shao Shen and Wong Kar Wai. Uh, coming up on Wednesday, June 29th, uh, they are playing Flowers of Shanghai, uh, Ho Shao Shen's 1998 film, which is essential to be seen in theater. I've seen it on video. Uh, I've seen it on video a couple of times, and the image is very dark. It's murky. It's hard to tell who is who. Uh, but seeing it last year at the Northwest Film Forum on film uh, was like a revelatory experience. Like the movie uh, is entirely different seeing it on a big screen. And uh, it might be the best Ho Shao Shen film. Mm. Or it might just be that I was just so taken with the actual experience <laughs> of seeing it. It's, it's a beautiful movie about... Uh, 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 brothels and the women who work in them in 
early 20th century uh, Taiwan. It's it's an amazing film, and you should go see it and uh, see all of the other uh, Li Pengling films because he is uh, Christopher Doyle gets all of the the credit I think for a lot of the look of, of Chinese films, especially Wong Kar Wai films. Uh, but he is not the only capable cinematographer working in Chinese language cinema. That's true. That's true. Well, it's a great pick. Um, like I said in the middle show, uh, middle of the show, uh, you know, we're not gonna, you know, jump off a cliff or anything. This isn't like Thelma and Louise or whatever. We'll still be around. Um, we may even do another episode here and there. Who knows? Special occasions, Johnny Toe movies or something like that. But, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe an end of the year thing. Who knows? We'll see. You know, we'll. Yeah, I'm still gonna make you give me a list of movies. Okay. For around Labor Day, for our uh, top 100 sight and sound project. <laughs> oh shit! All right, that's really what killed me. That's that was the final straw. Um, but you can find out. You know, Seattle screen scene is still a concern. Go there. Sean puts a lot of work into it. I put a little bit of work into it. Melissa puts some work into it, um, and it gets you know it gets done um, on occasion. But uh, but that'll that'll keep going. Um, SeattleScreenScene.com. There's a Twitter for it at Seattle Screen. Um, you've got your Twitter, Sean. Yeah, uh, that was, uh, the end of cinema. Uh, we have. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing this summer. I have like my tickets for Vancouver already, but that's not until the end of September. I don't really have any projects lined up for the rest of the summer, so I'm sure that I will be watching some Chinese movies. Yeah, I'm. I, uh... The thing that I'm most excited about is the fact that I'm not going to have any projects for a while. Um, I think that's going to be good for my mental health. But yeah, I mean, uh, we we have like the the week to week grind of Seattle screen scene is can be a grind. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I got like press screenings to go to. I got movies to go. I got a I got to go see an Anna Kendrick movie this week and then write about it. Ghostbusters is right around the corner. Ghostbusters coming out. I'm right. right about that. I know. Yeah, yeah it there's never gonna stops. Be, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, Dragon Gate Inn and, and Touch of Zen both coming to SIF in July. Going to be pretty bitchy. For like three days. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go to every show. Although they took it down from their calendar, so maybe they got canceled. Ooh, yeah. I, so. I don't know. Well, but yeah, there we will be doing stuff on the internet and... Maybe we'll talk about them again. I mean, I, I wouldn't cancel your subscription to the Francis Farmer Show if you are subscribed to it on iTunes or a podcast player because who knows when something might turn up. Yeah, something might happen. You know, I might or, wake up tomorrow and say I made a huge mistake. Yeah. Or, I mean, at least with, with Vancouver, I think, uh, I think Melissa is planning to go to Vancouver this year and she and I will probably do uh, a podcast from there. So, yeah. Yeah, and Melissa, by the way, she's really the one that's, you know, her star is, is in Ascension because she's going to be on film spotting, so. Uh, that is not <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> and but I was anyway. on film spotting first, so. Oh, now, oh, now the pissing contest begins. All right, well, uh, this is the last time I'm going to say it, but thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll see you around somewhere. Should we play... Uh, George Sanders for old time's sake. Yeah, why not? All right. There you go. Let's let's violate copyright one last time. That's right. You must remember.
A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die 